Good evening. I want to welcome everybody back tonight. It's been a beautiful Lord's Day. We make the most of them and enjoy all of them that we can get. Every, I always say every day is a bonus. But seems like seems like we we're just up here, like maybe a week or two ago. It's kind of like that line in a Ray Stevens song, you know. You know, it's me again, Margaret. So yeah, we're so you can tell if I'm up here, Doug's gone with the youth. And again, that's we want to say that's a good work. We want to make sure our youth get supported and that we know they know that we support them and care about them because again they they are our future tonight we're going to talk about words words in the bible but words i mean words are important it's how we communicate i mean that sounds kind of silly when we first say that and you think about it. But words are important. Words, it's a basis of our civilization as well as religion. How can we know the gospel unless we have words? Again, when you first think about it or say it, that just sounds a little silly. A little element, just, just basic, I guess. But again, it's the basis of how we communicate with one another. It's also how God communicates with us, with words through the scripture. But it's the words we use and how we use those words that make the difference. Words can build us up, have time at a football game. Coach goes in, uses words to build those people up, those players. Or they tear us down. People can use really sharp words that cut really deep. Words can motivate us. And words can destroy us emotionally. As humans, think about this, we're the only creation on this earth, the only creation on this earth that has the ability to fully and accurately communicate with each other. No other of God's creatures has this ability. I pulled up on some science articles uh, where science tells us they've discovered that dolphins can communicate with each other. But again, it's only basic commands. But as smart as, as, as some of these dolphins might be, they still cannot use words to fully communicate with each other. I mean, my dog, little Pomeranian, 10 pound or eight pound Pomeranian, that dog understands basic commands, understands a little more English than what I think. The dog knows sit, yes, no, good, bad, especially knows the word treat. But that dog doesn't have the ability 
to talk or use words to communicate. Water dish low, dog gets nervous. We go through a 20 minute routine trying to figure out what the dog wants till we figure out she wants water in a water dish. It gets the lease a little bit low, we gotta do it. But we probably have some here tonight with that also that, that go hunting. When you're headed into the woods, there's nothing more frustrating than to have a couple of squirrels start chattering and barking at you. And they're warning the other squirrels of danger. And at the same time, they're warning any deer in the area of danger. But they don't have the ability to use words to fully communicate with each other. Mankind is the only one of God's creations to have the ability to use words to communicate fully with each other. Language, it's a great gift from God that sets us apart from every other creature on the face of this earth. You know, in a single day, think about this, in a single day, we can hear thousands of words. Many of us use the internet for information, to look stuff up, entertainment, use it for study. I use it to, I, I, instead of having to spend $1,200 on a full set of commentaries, I've got full access digitally on my phone. Look it up and do a full crossword search, everything, all electronically. Some people even use the internet for relaxation, just to kill time. But when we do, many times we're exposed to thousands of words used throughout the day to communicate an idea or knowledge. You know, there are many who ask about words, questions about words. What's the good word? What's the latest word? Then there's the man of his word or the man of a few words. We're, be, we're, to be told, we're told we're to be mindful of our words, to choose our words carefully. The corollary to that is you may have to eat your words if you don't. I even ran across a guy the other day, he slapped my hand, and all he said was word. I don't know what the question was or whether that was a statement, I don't know. I wasn't for sure what word I was to give him. Play on age there. There are some good words. And some are fluent in four letter words. Even the Bible has a lot to say about words. I'll try to illustrate this as they, as they appear in the Bible. First, we have the words of men. They reveal our thoughts. Matthew 12, 34 says, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. Words can make us unclean. Matthew 15, 15 through 19 says, Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You know, Peter used words to deny Christ. In Matthew 26, 73, his heart was filled with fear. 26, 73 says, and a little later, those who stood, stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. You know, men, they use empty words to deceive people. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We should set an example with our speech. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You know, war, words, words form a basis for judgment. Matthew 12.36 says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. So for our words, we will give an account for the words we use on that day of judgment. You know, the Bible, it has so much to say about words and so much to say about the word. But words, they are, they're just so important. Just think how blessed we are in this day and age to have God's word in printed form just available for everyone to read. At any point in time, at our convenience, we can simply pick up a copy of God's Word and read what it says for ourselves. We don't have to depend on someone else to tell us what they think it says or what those words mean. We have the ability to pick it up at any point in time. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, we have God's inspired word in our hands to freely read. There's never been another point in time 
in history where that's been available. The fact that we can control our own destiny, that we can control our own salvation. But sadly, also just think how many take for this for granted and ignore the fact and the privilege of being able to have this printed word. When it comes to words, I love to take time as I study God's word to learn about the words I'm reading. Where did they come from? What was their original meaning? And what is their significance in what I'm reading? So this evening I want to talk about a very important word. It's one of the most important words in all of the Bible. It's one of the most overlooked words in the Bible. It's also one of the shortest words. Specifically, we're going to be looking in the book of 1 John. So if you could, if you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John. We'll get there in just a minute. <clears throat> you know, there are several ways to study John's letters, the Apostle John's letters. You can, you can look at the word know. It's quite extensive in, that, in, in, in his writings. You can look at the concept of, of born of God. Or you can study the word love. But we often also talk about the Apostle John as the apostle of love. You can even take his books or his writings and study it and go verse by verse. But tonight, I want to look at one word specifically and kind of focus on 1 John, how it's used. And that's the word, if. Just simply, if. It's a big little word, if. It's little because it's only two letters in length but it's big in importance. It can make the truth, the difference between truth and error, the difference between obeying God and disobeying God. It can make the difference between being saved and being lost. It can make the difference of being in heaven or in hell. When you think when you think of nearly every promise throughout history that God has given, it's been conditional. It's conditioned upon if. The Israelites would have the promised land if they would remain in the promised land. If. If they remained in God's ways and if they obeyed God's commandments. Again, if. They were told that if they transgressed, they would be cast out. 
And that's exactly what happened. Again, if that big little word, two characters long, if that word that's so important, important, defining the word if. I went up several different places to come up with the definitions. According to Webster's 1823 whatever dictionary, it's used as the sign of a condition or it introduces a conditional sentence or statement. Current Merriam-Webster.com dictionary. In the event that, allowing that, on the assumption that, again, on the condition that. That's the definition it gives of if. Dictionary at Cambridge.org. Their definition of if is used to say that a particular thing can or will happen only after something else happens or becomes true. So when we think about it, just how important is this little word, if? Do you know the word? Had to pick one, King James Version, New King James. Had to stick with one translation to get the numbers. But the word if appears in the Bible 1,637 times. That many, just that little word, if. You'll find it 993 times in the Old Testament. But you'll find it 602 times in the New Testament. Out of those 602 times, it appears 24 times in John's epistles. If, the word if is a subordinating conjunction. It does not stand alone. For example, if he would have stayed home, he would still be alive. If I would have taken that job, I'd be president of the company by now. If I would have bought Microsoft stock when it first started, I'd be a millionaire. If. You know, first, in the book of First John, there's the fatal if. We'll just kind of take these as we go through First John. First John 1 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know, John 3, 20, 21, the book of John says, for, every, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You know, many Christians, try, they're trying to live a dual life. They're trying to live in the world, and they're trying to live in Christ at the same time. 
it won't work. You know, at times, we're all guilty of that at some point in our lives. We try to have both. We try to live both ways. But we can't be pleasing God if we do this. Again, if. Second, there's the assuring if. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light. You know, you can substitute truth for light and light for truth. You end up with the same thing. If you walk in truth, you're walking in the light. If you're walking in the light, you're walking in the truth. God is both truth and light. Now, most importantly, the blood of Christ keeps on cleansing us. This is the case until we change masters, whether it be the world or God. This gives us peace of mind and encouragement knowing we can be secure in our salvation as long as we're walking in the light, as long as we're following God's will. You know, Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, a division of, of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You know, here, Luke, he's using the word walking by meaning they lived, they kept living in, the, in his word. They kept on living, on walking. When we walk in the light individually, And when we are both walking in the light, both, we also have fellowship with one another. You know, 1 John 1, 3 tells us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, that assures us that when we walk in the light, when we obey God's commandments, we have that continual cleansing of our sins.
that makes us so much secure in knowing of our salvation. But it also helps us boldly speak God's word because we know of that hope that is within us as Paul, the apostle Paul describes that we know we have that salvation, that we know that it's freely given. And when we have that, we should just be about to burst to be able to tell others of that joy that we have in Christ Jesus because we know we have salvation and we know we have that continual cleansing as long as we're walking in the light with him. You know, third, there's the deceiving if. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, if. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So many times I've heard people say, you know, I can go where there are sinful things and it doesn't affect me. I'm, I'm fine as long as I'm good. There are other people's actions that I'm around. They're not going to corrupt me. I can remain strong. It doesn't work. You know, people that are going out to, to the bar on weekends and going out to the casinos or going different places where sin abounds and thinking that it won't affect you, it's simply not true. It just simply can't be, isn't true. People can and do fall away. You know, we're wrong if we think we can play with fire and not get burned. You know, we heard that when we were little kids. You know, Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not get and be burned? So there's a scriptural basis for that saying. We can't tempt to the point that we corrupt ourselves. Where we have our fellowship, that's where our heart will be. If we have fellowship with evil, that's where our heart will be. If we have fellowship with God, that's where our heart will be. James 1.22 tells us, that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It takes action. It takes action. You know, the old adage, the old saying, you know, just sitting here on a pew like a bump on a log. We need to have action. If we have the love for Christ within us, 
shouldn't have to be anybody tell us to go out and tell somebody about Christ, about salvation. If we know in our hearts that we have that continual, continual cleansing, that we have salvation assured, we should just be wanting to tell everybody. You know, there, there's so many people out there, they're simply deceiving themselves by only being hear, hearers of God's word and not doers. How often do people come to the verge of repentance but don't actually change? Seen it several times. They're simply deceiving themselves. I've known people, as I've gotten older, I hear it more and more. I'm too young, I wanna be able to still have fun when I get older. And yet they die in a car accident when they were 18 years old. Or I'm too young for that to be tied down to religion. I wanna go have fun. I'm still young. And then something happens in their life and they never return back to God. Again, these people are simply deceiving themselves because it's just not in their hearts. They have not accepted God. You know, we deceive ourselves when we believe the truth is not absolute or that it's not attainable. You know, in today's age, we use the, compare it to the news cycle that people put the spin on whatever, that there are no absolute right and wrongs, that there are no absolute truths. This is an absolute truth. And it's very attainable. You know, people, when they try to change God's laws to fit their situation in life, over and over you see it in marriage or in divorce, remarriage, in anger, drinking. It's only one beer. Stealing, gossip, even what many consider little white lies. Again, they're simply deceiving themselves. Fourth, there's the blessed or the blessed if. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God's going to be faithful. He's going to do what he said to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First Peter 3.12 says, for the eye of the Lord, eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, if we confess our sins, 
Christ, God, is able and faithful and just to forgive us. Confess. It means to, to admit to, to, to own up to, to borrow a phrase. You know, if we refuse to admit or to confess our sins, simply God can't forgive us. How can he forgive us if we don't admit or own up to what we've done? You know, if we walk in the light, the blood of Christ, you know, he cleanses us from all sin. And by walking in the light and confessing when we do sin, again, God continually cleanses us. That is the conditional part. We must confess our sins and live faithful, walking in the light in order to, to receive that continual cleansing. You know, fifth, we have the insulting if. 1 John 1.10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In fact is, God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2 confirms this. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God's word is truth. And every word of it is truth. Every word is truth. If we say we're without sin, we're sinning by lying to ourselves and to others. In Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. James 4.17 tells us, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Are we trying to make God a liar when we know to do good but don't? A little insulting word, if. Simply, we make God a liar if we say we have no sin. He is... His truth is not in us if we, if we can't admit to that. His word is not in us. You know, and finally, we have the advocating if. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. There in the middle of verse one, I love that. And if anyone, man, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. You know, that part, and if anyone sins, we just read Romans 3.23 tells us we're all going to sin. 
It's not that we might not sin, we're going to. But looking at the definition of if, in the event that we do, we have an advocate. An advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. Well, what a comforting verse. Out of everything that I've read, everything that I, the scripture that I've covered tonight, that's got to be so comforting to every Christian that Christ is our advocate when we sin. That we have an advocate, an intercessor in Christ Jesus. Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf and defends us. You know, that tells us we have the best lawyer there ever was because Jesus pleads our case. And more importantly, we have a lawyer that's never lost a case in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.31 assures us even more, says that what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's that little word again, if. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, if we're walking in the light, if we're obeying the truth, then God is for us. And if that's the case, who can be against us? And that when we do sin, Christ is going to be our, our lawyer. He's going to defend us. And most importantly, he's never lost a case. That little word, if. I've just scratched the surface of its use in scripture, but it's so important. That little word, if. You know, if you're not a Christian, then today, you can put Christ on in baptism. You'd be then be walking in the light and have that advocate with the Father. You know, if the Lord comes tomorrow, would, we, would you have Christ as your advocate for your defense? You know, if you let sin slip into your life, and need that forgiveness that only you can only get through Christ Jesus, then again, this invitation is for you also. Simply put, to go to heaven, you need to repent, believe, confess, and be baptized, and live faithfully. And finally, just simply, if you're in need of the prayers of the church, you need that support that you can only get from Christ, and through the fellowship that we have with one another, then again, this invitation is you. And we offer this invitation as we stand and sing.